The Free for All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer. Near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. And on round one this morning, we've got Tim Hudak, Tim Hudak, the former leader of the Ontario Conservatives, now the CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association, Mark Warner, an international trade lawyer, and Tamara Cherry with Pickup Communications and author of a book about a case for rethinking the business of bad news. Uh, I don't know if this is good or bad news. Good morning to you all. But uh, we had mm-hmm. this budget debate going on at City Hall. And I was I, certainly when I was mayor, I was always happy when it was over just because you sort of got tired of it, as I'm sure the people are. But uh, I was just saying that I think, uh, you know, right now, and I'm not saying this in any particular sort of ideological way or anything else, uh, and certainly not in a way that is meant to talk down the mayor, that I think if you were looking at the, what I believe to be the both tradition, but also the necessity or the desirability of getting a consensus on the budget, that she might move uh, to work with the council to get the tax rate down a little bit more, and she's brought it down a bit already, and to give the police at least some of the additional funds they say they need, given all the things we're asking them to do. Uh, And uh, Tim... I'll start with you and just say, is it is it a time when you would say, let's draw that consensus behind placing the affordability crisis facing so many families first and trying a little bit harder just to get that you know few million dollars? I know it sounds like a lot, but it, it, it isn't in the context of a $17 billion budget to be able to provide a bit more tax relief and provide a bit more uh, in the way of support for the police. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what a mayor uh, should be doing in these circumstances. The affordability crisis when families are struggling to pay the grocery bill, try to scratch a few dollars to get some entertainment or save for college uh, or university for the kids. And to be hit with a 9.5% tax increases is merciless under these circumstances. And we did have tax increases in previous years uh, as well, John. The mayor did say during her campaign that she would be not using the veto powers. I think she should work with counselors to bring this down. And fine was it's not cutting spending, John. It, these are increases in, in budgets well beyond the inflation rate. Just get it down to that level, actually, as you did when you were mayor, then I think the taxpayer will find that a much more balanced approach and appreciate some understanding of the financial circumstances. And Mark, um, you know, the, the there's been great talk from the governor of the Bank of Canada, and I agree with him, that uh, big increases in government spending at all levels is going to simply fuel inflation and cause him not to be able to bring interest rates down. But when you look at something like the police budget, they're asking for 1.7%, uh, which is well below the rate of inflation. Uh, the government is giving them, the mayor is proposing to give them less than that. So even if you bring it up to the 1.7, it's not an inflationary increase in and of itself when we're asking the police to do all these things for us uh, to keep the city safe with demonstrations and hate crimes and car thefts and on the list goes. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I think it's hard. I can see how hard it would be to increase the police budget um, and cut somewhere else. I mean, I, I, I am of the view that there's a lot of fat in the budget. <laughs> you, you probably know that more than I would, but I think a lot of it is in salary and wages across the board, and that includes in the police budget. Um, and it, I acknowledge that it takes a lot of political will and hard effort to get at that, but um, in both cases. Um, so I, I just see how difficult it would be for the mayor to, uh, I think, get to go down from her nine and a half at the same time as she increases the police budget. So, you know, I'd like just to see a little bit more, a little bit uh, more of a knife and a scalpel applied across the board, <laughs> to be very honest. Yeah, well, I, yeah, look, you, the you won't budget. actually get me to disagree with that. And I will tell you how hard it was uh, to 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 make those choices. Because uh, for each year, for example, I'd say, well, why is the headcount going up at City Hall? And they'd say, well, if the headcount's going up and the average number was around 750, and they'd say, well, you know, 411 of those are new bus drivers to come 
come in to drive the bus. And, uh, you know, 103 of them are people that are going to work on collecting solid waste. And they were kind of frontline services that you really couldn't in a growing city argue much with. But at the same time, they had instances where people are, and I was talking about an example of this yesterday, people are doing a fairly simple transaction with the government and literally a, 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 a small organization has to submit 100 pages of material wow. to the government. And then the part that people don't think about is at the other end of submitting the 100 pages, how, however hard that is for the organization to do that work, there's people sitting there reading 100 pages where the documents and analyzing it and studying it and discussing it, and they're all getting paid a salary. And I'm not against those people, but it's just that there's too many of them demanding too many pages and all that. Tamara, um, you, you've had a chance to follow government, you had a chance to follow the police, but I think as much as anything else, this system works best at the city level when you have a consensus as opposed to a war about the budget because there are no parties and it just works best that people should work with each other to find a consensus on something that's going to serve all the people that uh, that they serve. Yeah, unfortunately, John, when it comes to things like the police budget, it becomes such a divisive and political issue that that's just, it, it becomes impossible, you know? And when you think about the rate of inflation and increasing taxes at the rate of inflation and increasing the, uh, the police budget at the rate of inflation, the, the duties that police are tasked with are increasing far faster than the rate of inflation. So this is not an easy conversation. I'm not saying that they should get more than the rate of inflation, but I am saying that because of the divisiveness politically, because of the complexity of policing, like this is such um, a complicated issue. And who knows, maybe this is all part of Mayor Chow's plan, that that she says 10.5% and then they get the money from the feds and it goes to 9.5. And at the end, she she talks it out with all these you know opposing counselors and it gets to 8.5. And suddenly people are saying, woohoo, it's only increasing 8.5%, which is still a crazy high amount. But at the end of the day, it, whatever happens, it is going to hurt a lot of taxpayers, a lot of families uh, in Toronto, uh, a lot of single people in Toronto, because it's a very unaffordable city as it is, uh, and especially with what has been happening with interest rates lately. But I, I think this is a long time coming. There, something has to give, because there's a lot of stuff that needs to be paid for in Toronto that just isn't yet and it needs to go somewhere well, it needs I, to come from somewhere i predicted from the beginning that it would come down significantly from the original 10.5 percent just because i it couldn't stay that high given the affordability crisis mm -hmm. but i guess we'll see mark i want to start with you on this next one and it, it is something that's come back over and over again which is a challenge to the uh, panhandling law and over time there have been various attempts to put in place what they called vagrancy laws to stop people from kind of um, you know loitering in effect in the cities and sometimes posing a safety issue i guess uh, you know i've always been uh, you and I disagreed on some things, but I think we would agree on the fact that putting laws in place that are of no effect because they're not properly enforced or they're just not respected, there probably is no point in that. And this is a law that was put in place back in the Harris days, um, and they've issued thousands and thousands of tickets uh, to people who are panhandling, and none of the fines have been collected. And it sort of stands to reason you're not going to collect fines very easily from people who are panhandling. So, you know, when people challenge this law, I almost think it's not so much about whether it's interfering with people's rights as much as it's that it about a law that isn't really very effective at what it does for a variety of reasons. I mean, I think I agree with you. I mean, it's what I call symbolic law, which I don't generally believe in. I mean, it, there, it is interesting that there's an option for imprisonment of mm -hmm. up to six months for subsequent offenses. I, I didn't see in the article whether 
you know, anyone is being held in jail. Oh, or yeah. has, what, what, what the numbers for that are? It doesn't seem likely, or if it is, it'd probably be uh, you know disproportionate. But um, I don't have much time for for symbolic things like this. I think we saw one yesterday on the car theft from Pierre Polyev. It was at three crimes, and you're and you get three years or something. It's like that. This, this, I don't really have much time for what I call policy by press release. <laughs> that seems to be what this is. So uh, good luck to them, hopefully. <laughs> Tim, are you in the same boat? You've been there and you know the pressure on you to either come out with a clever, you know, the sort of jail, not bail. Uh, I've talked many times, I know you have too, about saying that the bail system is not working the way it's meant to. And when you have a, a three-word slogan like that, jail, not bail, it's actually quite effective as a means of political communication. Uh, and, and, and saying we're going to have a law that keeps, uh, uh, you know, panhandlers from being too aggressive uh, is, is, you know, people say, yeah, that makes sense, except if you're not able to enforce uh, these laws and carry through with what you say, then I think it breeds disrespect for the law. But what are your comments on this? Yeah, no, you guys are in a boat so far over the horizon. I can't see it. I'm on the complete opposite on this issue. I think my wife, my daughter, should have the ability to walk to a bank machine without being accosted aggressively by a panhandle. They should be able to wait for a subway or a bus without having somebody coming up and intimidating them, demanding money in their face. If this law is not working well enough, then fix it. This is aggressive panhandling, right? This isn't just regular, ordinary panhandling. And if you want to see more, like we saw in the 1990s, with people stopping you at every stoplight, stopping you to step foot in the streets of Toronto, but then kick out this law. I, for one, think there should be a reasonable protection of people's right to move about safely without somebody in your face threatening you when you're trying to do your daily walkabout. Yeah, look, I don't even disagree with that, but I think when you have a law where the enforcement part of it says, okay, we're going to write you a ticket and you're going to pay a fine and nobody pays the fines because they're people that don't have any money, then the effectiveness of it is uh, called into question. But Tamara, what say you on this? This, I agree with you, John. This is clearly not a law that is working. Um, the fact that people are ending up in jail apparently over this to me seems absurd. I'd like to see the province focusing more on keeping people out of its crowded jails than in. And this this crowd of people who are asking for money because they're in this situation for whatever reason uh, seems like a perfect opportunity to try to get supports in there and get them off the sidewalks doing that. All in all, I just don't understand how there can be a law against this but people are allowed to put on vests for a charity and have two one person on your left side one person on your right side while you're walking down queen street withholding a binder and trying to solicit you for monthly donations Very i always found that much more annoying than the panhandlers interesting sitting on point the i mean i don't know if they're annoying or not but it certainly is an inconsistency to tim's point about being able they to they are it. annoying yeah, they and, are and, annoying and were, i noticed this summer there seemed to be a lot more of them but having said all that uh, tim i'm going to start with you on this next one because you were a minister and uh, you know there was a lot of tragedy that affected a lot of families uh, of those who had uh, relatives in long-term care during the COVID uh, pandemic. But I wonder if allowing a class action against a minister saying the minister was negligent and not taking steps to protect people better is the way to deal with some of the things we learned. Can I put it that way during COVID? Because I was there and we were learning every day about things that could be changed and could be better. Uh, is that the best way to, 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 to proceed with this, to have a, a class action lawsuit going on against uh, the long-term care minister? It, it may not be the best way, but it is a way. And, and maybe Mark could explain the legal side better, because right? I can't imagine it's about the particular minister serving today. But, John, governments were negligent when it came to our long-term care sector. You've explored those as a mayor, as a fellow MPP. We, had, we were warehousing our seniors in homes that we would not put our dogs in, built in the 1950s and 60s. I was part of a government that actually expanded new long-term care homes, fixed them up. My Uncle John, after 97 years on this planet, dedicated himself 
himself to his country passed away in one of those modern homes. It felt like a home environment. The nurses, the staff were much more happy there. But the fact that we kept people in these old homes for so long, and then we didn't put a proper ring fence around them in the COVID crisis, government should be held to account, and we need to fix that up. Mark, uh, you know, I, I agree with what Tim said about making sure we learn the lessons of things that didn't happen the way they should have. But is this fit kind of in a different sort of category of something symbolic, doing it, something symbolic, doing it through the courts as opposed to having some kind of an accountability mechanism that happens, uh, you know, in the government sector? Yeah, I know. I, I, had, uh, I had, I guess, lost track of these cases. So I was interested to see this on the uh, list this morning. And I... Yeah, but I rarely do. I jumped in and had to go read the case. I didn't understand the article. Uh, yes, yeah, so it's not the individual minister who's being sued. It's actually the ministry. It's kind of sounds like an arcane point. And um, it's even more arcane than from that because they, they said, well, they, you, the, the plaintiffs can sue the minister. Ministry said, I'm going to call it the Ministry of Long-Term Health Care, but not the Ministry of Health, which is sort of odd. I will see. I think this is going to be appealed and should be appealed because there are a lot of technical things here about statutory interpretation that are that are odd, and there's some the, the act that the 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 the, the, the government put through um, specifically sort of ex, uh, got rid of uh, liability, and so I don't know how that works. I think I think this is going to have to be tested, and even the judge here said, you know, they might not succeed at trial, but for the purposes of the class action, I'll let it go forward. So I, I hope people aren't going to think that this is a more significant uh, decision than it really is at this point. It's um, it may be disappointed at the end of how this turns out. All right. Well, I'll say thanks to Tim Hudak, Mark Warner, and Tamara Cherry on that note. Catch the roundtable. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.